invite you guys can open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 21. Uh, this morning we're going to be looking at what uh, is called Jesus's triumphal entry into Jerusalem. Uh, this event marks the beginning of the, the last week of Jesus's life. So even though we're only in chapter 21 and we're going to continue, you know, to end it, this is the, the final week. It's recorded in all four Gospels, and, and what I love about it is a clear proclamation from Jesus that he is Israel's long-awaited king and Messiah. Um, do you know that this, this event was written about 500 years before it happened? Uh, the prophet Zechariah said that this was going to happen. A day would come when, when their king would ride into Jerusalem and save them. And so Zechariah 9.9 says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem, behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. So Israel has been waiting eagerly for this day, especially since they're under Roman occupation and and under Roman rule. They're desperately wanting their king to come and rescue them, overthrow their enemy and set them free. And this is exactly what Jesus has come to do, just not in the way that they are thinking about it. He's come to rescue them, he's come to overthrow their enemy, and he's come to set them free. So all eyes are on Jesus as he rides into town, and hopes are high. There's kind of a buzz in the air right now. Jesus, um, his miracles and his fame have been, you know, becoming more and more well-known. His latest miracle would have been like the lead story on all the major news networks at that time. If you were to tune in, it would have been like, you know, today in, in Bethany, uh, a, a prophet called Jesus raised a man named Lazarus from the dead. You know, this is like every headline. This is a big deal. And John's gospel tells us that this is just what happened before this. So there's this buzz in the air and an anticipation. Um, everybody's excited. Well, almost everybody. The, the religious leaders, they're, they're not very excited. Um, they're, they're pretty um, worried about this. They're, they're also just sick and tired of this one that's called Jesus of Nazareth and his antics. Um, He's making things hard for them. (laughs) Uh, They're filled kind of with fear over the prospect of losing their power and and, uh, they don't want him to continue to gain popularity. So when you add up all the different information, like I said, it's recorded in all four gospels. When you you kind of put this together and look at it, um, you're gonna kind of see three different perspectives that, that emerge or, or um, different vantage points to consider as we, as we go through this passage. So we're going to kind of see Jesus' perspective as he's coming into town. We're going to consider the religious leader's perspective as what was going on, and then we're going to think about the people and what they were experiencing. So that's what we're going to focus on this morning. So verse 1 of chapter 21, it says, Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethphage on the, to the Mount of Olives, uh, then Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. And if anyone says anything to you, you shall say, the Lord needs them, and they will send them at once. I'm just going to tell you, this would have stressed me out. Um, This is not an errand I would have wanted to run. I can't imagine him saying that, hey, just go into that town up there. You're going to see a couple of animals tied up. Just grab those animals and bring them back to me. And if anybody says anything to say, oh, the Lord needs them, it's like, this sounds like grand, grand larceny. It sounds like, I don't know what they did to horse thieves, you know, then, but I would not have wanted to, to be a part of this at all. It would have frightened me. Um, but what I love about this is we see the attributes of God once again in Jesus. He knows 
what's in the next town. He knows what they're going to find when they get there. He knows that if there's anything that comes up, all they need to say is Jesus wants them and everything's going to be okay. And, and I love that he knows this because it tells me that he knows how to supply our needs. He, there's nothing that he can't accomplish. All of his plans and purposes will prevail. And that's because he is God. So verse four tells us that the procurement of the colt took place to fulfill what was spoken of by the prophet uh, in verse five, it says, say to the daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did as Jesus directed them. They, bought, or they brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks and Jesus, and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds went before him and they that followed them were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up saying, who is this? And the crowd said, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. An amazing event that takes place. Well, first we're going to consider Jesus's perspective. We know that he's basically just completed three years of intense public ministry. He's turned Jerusalem upside down, and he's radically challenged the, the religious institution. He, he's basically become the most controversial person in Israel's history. Some want to crown him, and some want to crucify him, and it all culminates in this moment. You, you remember how Jesus was always saying, hey, my time has not yet come. It's not time for me yet. Well, now's the time. Time has come. It's all going to... Um, you know, happen. It's all going down right now. Jesus is willingly riding into Jerusalem, knowing exactly what awaits him. Um, it's time for him to complete the mission the Father has given him. <clears throat> now, all of this just happens to coincide with Passover. Uh, you know, it's really not a coincidence at all, because Passover celebrates a time when a lamb was sacrificed to spare God's people from his wrath. And, and now we have the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world going to the cross to do just that. And I love that the religious leaders are going right along with God's plan without even knowing it. It's probably the last thing they would want to do is to aid Jesus in this mission, but they do. And again, that's because our God is awesome and can do anything. Now, I can't help but think about how I would roll into town if this were my moment, okay? Um, this is Jesus's chance to make a grand entrance and to let everybody know exactly who he is. And I'm thinking, how would you want to do that? You know, he is the God of the universe, the maker of heaven and earth, the true king of Israel. And so I'm thinking something like, I don't know if you guys remember seeing Aladdin when Prince Ali makes his entrance into town. You know, he comes in with there's music and he's riding on an elephant and there's, there's a band and everybody's singing. And he's throwing gold coins into the crown. Or the other one I think of is, um, if you guys hopefully have seen The Count of Monte Cristo. It's a wonderful movie, but there's this, this scene where he comes in on a hot air balloon. Um, I don't know if you remember this. There's this grand, you know, place that he's coming down and you see this hot air balloon coming down and then all of a sudden four ropes go over the corners and these, you know, acrobats kind of Cirque du Soleil, is that what it's called? Yeah, they, they kind of come down on these ropes and, and then they just pull it down very gently onto the ground and it stairs open up and he, out he walks and everybody's mouth is open. It's like, that's what I'm talking about. That's what I'm doing right there. That's, a, that's an entrance, right? But how does our Lord our king choose to make his entrance on a borrowed animal that isn't the least bit impressive, just a simple beast of burden, a young donkey with a saddle made of garments, used garments. That's our, that's our Lord. That's our king. I love that. 
It's the opposite of triumphant, humanly speaking. We call this the triumphant entry, and I'm thinking, well, this isn't triumphant. This is incredibly humble. It's unimpressive. It's unthreatening. It's modest. And that's because he's not riding in to be crowned. He's riding in to be crucified. He knew that he would be rejected by his own people, and he knew what awaited him, um, and he knew what awaited them also for their rejection. And, and so even Luke's account tells us that he was weeping as he rode into town, thinking about how he wanted to gather them together and that they would know who he was, but they, but they don't, and they reject him. Luke's gospel also records another significant detail that I love. Um, and it, again, it tells us that Jesus is God in the flesh because the Pharisees hear people praising Jesus and attributing to him what only can be attributed to God, and they step in to say something. So listen to Luke 19, verse 37. As Jesus was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, a whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. And he answered, I tell you, if they were silent, the very rocks would cry out. That's just so good. It's like, you know, he will be praised and there's nothing you can do to stop it. You know, he was humble, but he was never modest about who he was. All of creation will praise him. It's going to come. A day is going to come when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. And what a day that will be. But this wasn't that day. Jesus' perspective is that he was a humble king riding into town to die. Now we look at the, the religious leader's perspective. Um, as Jesus' popularity and his renown have grown, so has their resolve to get rid of him. Uh, you know, his recent raising of Lazarus, as I said, was like a headline that was not going away anytime soon. It was all everybody in Jerusalem was talking about, and, uh, and everybody wanted to kind of get a glimpse of this one that can raise people from the dead. This is, this is something that's you know, you don't see every day, right? So all of it poses this extremely desperate situation for the Jewish religious leaders. Um, they've got Lazarus walking around like a walking billboard of Jesus's miracles. It's like, this isn't, gonna, this isn't helping us at all. Um, so they come to the conclusion that, that something must be done about Jesus and about Lazarus too. So John, in John's gospel, verse 12, or chapter 12 and verse 9, it says, When the large crowd of Jews learned that Jesus was there, they came, not only on account of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to put Lazarus to death as well. Because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. They even say, you know, the whole world's going after him. It's a little dramatic, but that's how they were feeling. Now, the fact that Passover is happening right now means that the town's going to be just filled with tons of people. And the last thing that they, they want right now is for more people to be convinced that Jesus is the Messiah. So what's the next step? Well, murder, obviously. I mean, duh. You know, that's, that's, that's what you got to do is just kill, kill Jesus and Lazarus too. And remember, these are the so-called religion. These are God's leaders. These are the, the moral, the righteous ones. And this is their plan. And, and it makes sense to them. This is terrifying to think about. Rather than marvel that somebody had the power to raise another man from the dead and logically connect the obvious dots back to God, they see it as a problem to be dealt with, and murder is the answer. And this just shows you how men will go to extreme lengths to protect their power. We see it all the time. You know, and we, we may think, well, we're not that way. 
but we're capable of going to shocking lengths to, to maintain our way of life too. You know, we have a desire for prosperity and for popularity and for power, and, and it can bring out the worst in all of us if that's what we're shooting for. And if our way of life is threatened, you know, we can justify almost anything. It's the sinful condition of men. So we might not actually consider murder, but, you know, a little character assassination isn't too far beneath me. I'm, I'm pretty good at that when I need to be. So the religious leader's perspective is basically get rid of him before he gets rid of us. And then you have the people's perspective. This is an interesting thing to think about. That's where I'm going to spend most of my time this morning. Because at first glance, their response looks pretty encouraging. Um, You know, they line up in masses to, to greet Jesus as he rides into town. And listen to some of the things they say. Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Hosanna literally means we beg you to save or please deliver us. Right? John 12, 13 says they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him crying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. Right? They, they, they understand who it is. They get it right. They acknowledge he was sent by God and they acknowledge that he's king. The palms they laid out were, were kind of like the way you would lay out a red carpet, roll out the red carpet for royalty. That's what they're doing. That's why we have Palm Sunday uh, still today that we celebrate. So this looks super encouraging. It seems like a strong profession of faith, even. The only problem is, in just a few days, these same people are going to go from shouting Hosanna to our king to crucify him. And we have no king but Caesar. How how does this happen? How can somebody go from acknowledging who Jesus is one moment and then asking, you know, him, asking them to save him and then wanting nothing to do with him in the very next. And this is a great question for us to consider because it still happens today. I want you to think about how many times we, we see people receive Jesus only to vanish from the church a short time later. Why does this happen? And I think it very often comes down to kind of what we see here in this, in this passage. It comes down to what people want and expect from Jesus. So in this instance, it wasn't so much a case of mistaken identity, but it was a case of mistaken ideas. They got the who of Jesus right, um, but they got the why of Jesus wrong. And so the people were expecting Jesus to be their conquering king who would overthrow the Roman rule that was oppressing them and reinstate their kingdom. And, and that's what they were expecting. They weren't looking for a spiritual solution you know, for their souls. They were looking for more of a political solution to their circumstances. And this is the same thing people do with Jesus today. They want him to make their lives and their problems go away and to make everything nice and comfy. That's what I want. I want to be nice and comfy all the time. That's my goal. Sometimes it feels like. And the minute they realize that that's not what Jesus came to do or that's not what he's all about, they'll abandon ship. So I think people really like the idea of having their own personal Jesus, you know, who will kind of meet their needs whenever they ring their little bell, right? Like, Like he's a butler, is that what Jesus is? Yeah, I can, I can see people say, well, sure, he can be king as long as, as long as he does that. But that's not really a king, is it? No. Jesus isn't a genie you know, that's come to grant your wishes. He is a God that's come to deal with your sins. So a great question for us to consider is this. Why do you want Jesus? What does he have that you need? Why become a Christian? And why do you come to church? The way you answer that changes everything. 
So I, I just thought, you know, over the last 12 years, uh, we, we've been here, we're also in Sun River, and so we've been pastoring for a while, and we've seen people come for all kinds of different reasons, and, and so I'm going to kind of go through some of these reasons, and, and I want you to kind of do some self-reflection, not just think about that person that this sermon would, would be good for, oh, it's too bad they're not here to hear it, maybe think about it for yourself as well, and them, but... So the first thing we see um, that comes to mind, I would say, is the same thing that brought these people to Jesus on the first Palm Sunday, and that's they came for the show, signs and wonders. This is a big draw for people today, and John 12, 18 confirms this. It tells us that the reason they came that day was because they heard that Lazarus had been raised, and they wanted to come and see what happened and, f- and see more. They wanted more of the show. All of us crave something exciting and otherworldly. Um, we crave the miraculous, and, and many people come to church for this thrill. I, I think of it as adrenaline Christianity, um, you know, bouncy house Christianity. Uh, and there's, there's churches out there that specialize in this, and I'm not trying to be critical. Um, there's reasons to be excited as Christians. But, you know, it, it's kind of a shallow version of Christianity at the end of the day because emotions and excitement come and go. So if you're just used to that on Sunday, it's just, you know, boom, 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 you know, you're, it's like this rave, and then Monday comes, <laughs> and it's like, you know, Monday. Well, now what do you do? You know, you, you, it's not, there's nothing there. So if you win people with excitement, you have to keep the excitement going if you want them to stick around. If the excitement goes away, so will they. That's kind of like, well, that was fun while it lasted. You know, what's next? That's what we do. So this is what we see. There's this buzz in Jerusalem that day, and it's easy to see why they got caught up in this emotional whirlwind and why they got carried away. Because it's it's easy to get caught up in a moment, but once that moment ends, you just kind of revert back to whatever you were doing before. This is one of the reasons, by the way, people ask us every once in a while, if you're curious why we don't, we're not big on altar calls at the door. Um, there's nothing wrong with altar calls, but for us, it's very easy to play on an emotional state, uh, a moving speech, you know, kind of manipulate somebody into action. And, um, you know, this, the problem with this is this is the same thing coaches do at halftime, right? To get their teams to go out and, you know, play more, play harder, whatever. You know, we've jokingly said, I've, I've heard some sermons that, you know, if, I, I want to go up and, and get saved again that day because it just, it just moved me so much, and I don't think that's a thing you can do. But, but I understand this, and this is what you see sometimes in churches when they do altar calls week after week. The same people are the ones going up every week. You're kind of going, you went up, you know, I don't know. We would rather trust in the, in the power of God's Spirit when it comes to people's conversions because just because we can convince somebody to, to come forward or raise their hand or, you know, that whole, you know, I see that hand, you know, that kind of thing, or, or pray a prayer. It doesn't mean salvation has occurred. And one of the worst things that we could do is make somebody mistakenly believe that a walk to the front of the church has secured their eternal future when it hasn't. That's terrifying to me as a pastor. I don't want to do that. The cool thing is, what I know for sure is that the gospel is powerful. And when we preach the good news of Jesus Christ, when we preach his substitutionary death on the cross for sinners and his subsequent resurrection from the dead, people hear it and they get saved. And I don't know how it works, but it does. There's a great story of Charles Spurgeon, who's you know, kind of one of my, my spiritual heroes. Uh, he was going to speak at this place on a Sunday morning and he went to get things kind of set up the day before, figure out where to put the pulpit to get the best acoustics. I, I would have loved to hear him preach. So he's just trying out the acoustics, and he's in there by himself, he thinks, and so he, he says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And there's a worker 
that he doesn't know is there, hiding in the back, not hiding, but he was where he was just in there. And he hears these words and it says he drops his tool belt and he goes home and he's wrecked because he's heard that path, just that verse. And it was on his deathbed that he tells his conversion story, that that's the day he got saved. It's the day he met Jesus because God's word is powerful and transformative. And it can wreck a person sitting in their seat. We don't have to do it. I can't tell you how many times we preach faithful, you know, the, the word of God, the gospel. And somebody comes up afterwards just with tears streaming on their face that I don't know what's going on, but something's happening to me right now. It's the power of God. See, this is the best thing we have to offer here. It's Jesus Christ and him crucified. That's the main event. There's nothing better than that. Signs and wonders, they're cool, whatever, but that's not the main event. Jesus is the main event. So I hope there's always an excitement and a buzz about what's going on here because there should be. Um, we're, we're experiencing and worshiping the living God, the God who loves us and saved us. It doesn't get better than that. But we want you to be grounded in what you know to be true and not what you may or may not feel. Feelings come and go. The truth of who Jesus is and what he's done is a firm foundation for us to stand upon every day. Whether you're up or down, things are going good or bad, whatever's going on in your life, that's ground you can stand on. All other ground is sinking sand. Somebody should write this down and make a song out of it. That's pretty good. (laughs) Sorry. The next reason we see people um, giving church a try or, you know, there's that old phrase, you know, try Jesus. I used to see that bumper sticker and it made me mad. Like, it's not like sour cream or something. It's like, what do you mean try Jesus? It's like, no, go all in. But, but the next reason I see is this, and I would just call it, dang, I'm in a tight spot, right? Um, we see people come through these doors because their backs are against the wall and they have nowhere else to turn. So a crisis hits, they need a quick fix, and they think, you know what, maybe, maybe God could help. I've got nothing to lose, so might as well give this a shot, right? I remember throwing out many a prayer prior to becoming a Christian at times like these, like, God, if you come through and help me right now, get me through this, I'll, I'll start coming to church, I'll, I'll give my life to you. I, I remember this very well. In football, they, they, they refer to this as a, a Hail Mary pass. <laughs> That's what I kept thinking of. This is like the end of the game, there's a few seconds left, you got no other hope, so you just, you just hurl something into the heavens and hope that, hope that it works. And this is what I think people are doing here. If that's the only reason someone comes, though, and then they don't get their quick fix, right, or if the the smoke from the bomb that went off in their life clears away, they will too. The next one is very similar to that one, and I would call this one coming for the bennies, right, the benefits. Um, People people do this as well. Everybody wants a good life. Uh, They figure if, if I include God, maybe some extra blessings will come my way. It's, it's, a, it's a, you know, pretty common way of thinking. So people want a good marriage. They want good kids. They want a good job, good health. And they reason that if they come and just kind of check the spiritual boxes, um, that God will be more inclined, maybe even obligated, you know, to give them those things. Here's the question, though. What's the bigger prize? Is it God or the things he can give you? This changes a lot right? This idea that we all have a God-shaped hole within us um, that can only be filled by him is real. If we only come to God because we want his stuff and not him, we're not going to fill that hole. That's idolatry. That's what the Bible calls it. If you just want things and not him, you've got another God. That gaping hole will remain 
And so this is why I'm going to step. This is the, the toe stepping part. So sorry, not sorry. This is why uh, things like the word faith movement and the prosperity gospel irritate me. <laughs> this is what they're offering. They're teaching people that they can use God to get rich and to get healthy and to get successful. Jesus promised his followers abundant life for sure, right? But this, this is like we get to know God. We get to be reconciled to God. We get to be transformed and sanctified into the image of his son. This is what abundant life is. But he made it clear as well that that process would include trials and suffering and hardship. And he uses those things for our good and for his glory. You know, this is, this is the kind of stuff that's not going to fill seats in a church. If you say, you know, come to Jesus and you're going to go through some hard times. People want to hear, come to Jesus and all your wildest dreams will come true. That's what they want to hear. You know, they don't want to hear, come and die, take up your cross. <laughs> you know, that's, but that's the path to abundant life. So, um, anyone looking for that kind of teaching hasn't stuck around here for very long. Uh, we're not going to attract people that way. We're not, we're not even trying to. But we will attract people with things like kindness and love and generosity. We're all about that. Uh, we've always been a generous church, and, and this, you know, kind of, you know, once you start being a generous church, word gets out, and it's, you know, that's the way it works. Last year, between the two churches, like, you know, close to $50,000 went out um, between, you know, the care fund and the missions fund that we have. Um, we operate a warming center that's free of charge for anybody that, that needs it. Well, we do free, free food distributions. We let people and groups use our buildings free of charge. Um, you know, we do offer bennies in that sense, but the reason that we do it is simple. We want people to meet Jesus through these things. We want people to see our good works and glorify our Father who is in heaven, right? Connect the dots. That's what we're hoping for. And so all this means that we're going to always attract people who are in need, and, and we will always welcome people who are in need. That's, that's who we want to be here. So the hope is, though, that when they come through our doors, their greatest need will be met in Jesus and that he will become their greatest treasure. That's the goal and why we do these things. So another reason that people come to church, and this one's, again, a little offensive, but it's to, to join the other misfits. <laughs> it's, uh, the, the church is kind of one of those places where it's kind of known, okay, these people don't have their act together very much, and maybe, they're, you know, maybe, I'll, maybe I can go there and, and I'll, I won't stand out too bad. Because everybody wants to find their place in this world, don't they? You, know, you want a place where everybody knows your name, remember that? Yeah, so you walk in and it's like, Norm, you want that. Everybody wants to find their tribe and that place where they fit in. And church can be a very welcoming place for people like that. Um, it provides a sense of belonging and family and community. And it's super unique, the way the church is, is designed. You know, it's made up of people from every walk of life, people that have no business hanging out together apart from one thing, Christ. <laughs> That's the common denominator. We're, we're sinners in need of a Savior. We're broken people who need healing, and we found that in Jesus. So if you're, if you're coming to church because you want to fit in and you don't have that, it's just a matter of time before you're going to try to find a different tribe because you're not, it's, it's not going to work. But we're still glad that people come. And then the, the, the other one that, you know, people come to church and this one's just kind of, I think it's, it's true of a lot of people, is, is fire insurance. <laughs> it's just a fire insurance policy. It's the I'll keep him close just in case mentality. These are people that I think it describes a lot of people, people that believe in God, they want to be able to call on him in case of emergency, right? But they definitely don't like the idea of being accountable or having God, you know, interfere in their life too much. They still want to live their life, but, but let's, you know, keep him on speed dial in case something goes wrong. 
And so they come every once in a while to, to stay on God's good side. You know, you need to show up Christmas and Easter at bare minimum. And then maybe, you know, throw a little something in the offering box here and there or whatever. It's just kind of mentality. Make sure that, you know, God knows you're still around and that he'll let you in heaven when all's said and done because that's important to you. Um, but otherwise, they live their lives as though God doesn't really exist. Functionally, they live their lives that way. They have no relationship with God, no fear of God, and no concern over their sin. And this is also terrifying to me because these are the people Jesus talked about that that said they're going to stand before him one day and say, well, I I know you, you you know me. And he's going to say, depart from me. I never knew you. I don't even know who you are. Uh, That's a terrifying thing that there are people right now that are in that spot. So those are some of the reasons that people come to to Jesus and to church or, or come, you know, seeking these things. They all have the same thing in common. They seek to meet a need, but not our greatest need. None of them deal with the real reason that we need Jesus. So Jesus came for a a very specific reason. (laughs) He came to save people from their sin and to reconcile us to God. And that, beloved, is your greatest need. Do you know that apart from Christ, the payment for your sin remains your problem to deal with? Regardless of what society teaches or believes today, sin is still a problem that needs to be dealt with. One day we'll all stand before a very holy God who will demand justice for every wrong done according to his standards, not our standards, his. And is sin a big deal to God? (laughs) Yeah. He sent his son to the cross for it. That's That's a pretty big deal. That's pretty serious. If God took it that seriously, ought we to? You know, I'm gonna, you know, go on record I'm the biggest sinner I know. And I'm not saying that like to be self-effacing. I really, I know my heart. I know my mind. I know the way I think. I know the way I act. I know the way I treat people. I know the things I've done. I know the things I'm going to do. And I'm a wretched sinner. And I don't understand it. But somehow Jesus has had pity on me. He went to the cross as my substitute. He took my place willingly, me, yeah, he paid my debt. God deserve, demands justice. He said, I got this. I'll give you my righteousness. I'll take your sin so that you can have life. This is amazing. He's offered me grace and mercy and forgiveness and eternity, and I deserve none of it. You want to know why I come to church? That's it. I, all I have is Christ. Jesus is my life. I have not, I'm like Peter. Where else are you going to go? I Nowhere else. There's, you're the only one. You're the only one that has what I need. You are what I need. This is why I'm here. This is why I come. And, and there's nothing that excites me more than seeing another sinner come to this conclusion. I can see it on some of your faces right now. I know some of you have come to this conclusion. You're in the same spot I am. And I love that because when people come to Jesus for this reason, it's a very different thing. This is where we start to see lives get truly transformed. I would even go so far to say that the Christians who I respect the most and see Christ in the most are people like this, that they got to this point where they realized how sinful they were and how holy God is, and they saw this this divide, this gap that they couldn't, they didn't know what to do with, and they were desperate. And so they came to Christ in, in full desperation, falling before him and begging for mercy, and he gave it to them. Do you think of your sin in this way? Because when you do, it will cause you to flee to Jesus as your only hope. And I love that he is willing and able to close that gap between us and God so that we can, we can be with him forever and eternity. It's amazing. 
So my hope and prayer is that everyone who comes through these doors will come to Jesus in this way. Um, Just like the people, though, that came out that day on the triumphal entry to see Jesus, we know that not everybody will. Not everybody that comes through here is going to meet Jesus in this way, even though we want it so much. As long as this church has existed, we've seen curious people pop in and out. Some stay, some go. You know, not everybody that, you know, some people go to other churches and, you know, they're, they're doing fine with Jesus. But some people just, they go. And, and it can be discouraging and it can seem like a negative thing. But I, I want to um, look at the glasses half empty, which is not my speciality, by the way, but, but I'm going to do it anyway. Uh, I believe there's an upside because it's pretty rare for non-Christians to walk into a church. It's pretty rare, rare to have an audience with somebody who doesn't know Jesus in our day and age. So I, th- I think about all the people that have come through our doors here and in Sun River since we started in 2011. And the, the amazing thing to me is, you know what they heard that day? If we're doing our job right, they heard the gospel. They heard the message of Jesus for them. Um, what a privilege it is that we have this opportunity, you know, that I think about all the gospel seeds that have been planted. And we have no idea what God's going to do with them. But all he's asked us to do is be faithful to throw seeds, you know, maybe water. But, but he'll give the increase, and we trust him for that. So isn't it cool that we're, we're like a lighthouse that's, that's just firm in this community, that, that's, that's a beacon of light just going out to all the people that are in the storms of life right now, and they know they can come here. And, and when they come here, what are they going to get? They're going to get Jesus. They're going to get the message of Christ. They're going to get true hope. And, and I love that we get to be a part of that, you know? So as Tom Bodet said, you know, we'll leave the light on for you. That's what we're all about here, right? <laughs> Seeing people come and go, by the way, it just makes us appreciate all, all you all that, that just come faithfully and that are part of this and that, that serve and that, that give and that are just dedicated. It means the world to us to have this. So this morning we've looked at two instances of Jesus riding, or one instance, I'm sorry, of Jesus riding into town, but there are, there are two. There's another one that's really important. And it's funny that we call this one the triumphal entry because the other one seems a little bit more triumphant in fairness. And it hasn't happened yet. It's one that we're looking forward to. John records it in the book of Revelation. And I want you to hear this. It's glorious. Revelation 19, 11. Then I saw heaven open and behold a white horse. Now we're talking. <laughs> the one sitting on it is called faithful and true. And in righteousness, he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems, and he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God, the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. That's our king. And you can meet him today as a humble king riding in on a donkey ready to save. Or you can meet him like this, which is terrifying, straight up terrifying. Today can be the day of salvation. Today you can cry out, Hosanna, save, please and he will. Father, thank you so much that we get this wonderful picture of both Jesus as the lamb and as the lion. Lord, I, I pray that if anybody here has never uh, just, just done business and, and, and bowed before you, 
that today would be the day that they would cry out to you for salvation and they wouldn't leave here today without talking to somebody, Lord, about this because there's nothing more important than this. And for those of us who have experienced your salvation and your gift through Jesus, thank you so much. Uh, help us to live a life worthy of this calling that, that we've received and to share this message with everybody that will listen to us. And we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.